Hey there, folks. Before we start today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, I'd just like to remind you guys that you can check out my daily sports column. It's free by going to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. You can just check out my Twitter to find the link there. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com. There's a link on that page. Uh, But yeah, go check it out every day. New sports story in your email inbox. Uh, Yeah, go tell a friend, share it out, send it to anyone else you think would uh, like the newsletter. But yes, every single day, go to sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just Google Sports Renaissance Man, Chase Thomas, whatever you're most comfortable with, go do that. Uh, If you are an Apple Podcast listener, don't forget to leave this show a five-star rating and review. Uh, It's important uh, to help the show continue to grow. And last thing, uh, very quickly, but uh, please email me at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com to... Uh, get your mailbag question in or any other questions that you might have about the show, about the column, anything like that. Uh, new mailbag columns go up every Friday. Uh, if you have any questions for the weekly shows that you would like us to answer on air, whether it's John Taylor on Wednesdays, Evan Swords on Mondays, the sports reporters on Fridays, uh, make sure to get those questions in and we'll read them on the show or I'll answer your questions in the mailbag on the newsletter. So go do that. Uh, again, that's Chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave the show a five-star rating and review. Follow on Apple podcast. If you can, uh, I think that's it. All right, uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. the Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I'm still DA for Mention Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by one of my favorite basketball people. Uh, it's Coach David Thorpe of True Hoop, a very good website that you should subscribe to with Henry Abbott. Um, if you have not already, by going to truehoop.com. It's a great newsletter. It's great stuff. Um, Coach, good evening. How are you? Fine, thanks. Hope, uh, hope you're well and safe. Absolutely. Um, with how much basketball you watch during the season, uh, now that basketball is over temporarily, um, what uh, what do you find yourself doing? What do you what is your off season from basketball look like? Oh boy! So, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for since 2007, when I first joined ESPN, um, my training business kind of kicks up when the NBA season starts winding down. And, uh, and so I've got professional players here now. Uh, my son gets back on Friday from Florida State where he plays for the team. And I'll be able to train him with my pros that are here uh, until um, he'll leave in two weeks. And then I'll train guys. I'll, I'm watching the Olympics, uh, Team USA, uh, following. Uh, I've done a deep dive into the draft. Uh, and, um, and then free agency kicks in. Normally I would go to summer league, but, uh, with COVID issues, I'm not traveling this year for that. I'll watch the games on, on TV and break those down. And, uh, and then by the time my last player leaves to go back to get ready for NBA training camp, we're in mid September. And, uh, and that'll be a nice couple of weeks where I won't have to do any coaching. There's no games to watch and I can just, you know, kind of take a, two week break from basketball. And then by once training camp starts, make September 28th, I'm back at it. So there's really, you know, if you, if you studied my synergy charts, there's probably no, you know, one or two week period where I'm watching less games or or players than I am, you know, any other time. So it really never really 
stop except for maybe that two week stretch in September. Do you get restless at all? Do you feel like out of place? Not watching basketball? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's just, I mean, it's just part of my DNA now. I've been doing yeah. this for so long. Uh, and actually, the two weeks that I won't be uh, uh, watching NBA level stuff and high level pro stuff, I'll have some players overseas that uh, their, their season starts. And, and I, I volunteer to help a lot of local programs, high school and uh, one post grad program. So I'll be able to go do some of their workouts. Uh, you know, I, as a favor, I'll, I'll train some of their players on their team, the whole team. And, and I mentor a lot of young coaches. And so, uh, and I'll do a lot of clinics and those kinds of things. Now basketball is, it's what I do for a living. So kind of go about doing my business. Interesting. Interesting. Um, last thing before we get into some actual NBA. So I'm curious, um, you mentioned we talked, I think the last time we talked to you, it was mid season, uh, for your son at Florida state. Um, what has that adjustment been like for you? Because I don't talk to many, uh, many, many people that actually have an active uh, D one athlete child. Um, and when you're in the same business, do you like we talked about? You're like Leonard a little bit, um, who still looks incredible for his age. I still blow people's minds. I'm like, do you know how old that man is? Like, at the, yeah, we, if we could all age that way, um, yeah. And he's built a really great program there now, and it looks pretty sustainable. And like Scotty Barnes is awesome, so we'll see. But um, do you, do you have a texting relationship? Like, do you, do you ask, do you feel like it's inappropriate to ask? Like, how does that work with your son and coach? And like, if your son asks you something like how I, I've, I'm just curious, you don't have to answer it if you're uncomfortable yeah. with this, by the way. No, so no, I'm happy to answer it. It's a great question. Uh, I've known the coaches of Florida state for decades, but I've known the coaches from a lot of schools for a long time. And I greatly respect the coach player, uh, relationships. So I, I ask my son, I probably text or talk most days, certainly not every day, but during the season, it's, it's probably close to daily. Um, and it's mostly focused on his teammates, but that is something we started a long time ago when he was a player. Uh, I used to go to most of his practices. And then as he got into 10th grade and 11th grade, um, I stopped going so much and instead I would, uh, I would just ask him, how did his teammates play? You know, it, it, to be a leader, you have to learn to breathe spirit in the hearts and minds of others. And if I wanted my son to be a leader, then he had to start paying attention to how other players were feeling, were doing, were playing. Uh, and so I, I, I would never really ask him about him. I would ask about his teammates and get him thinking about them. And so that hasn't changed. I mean, he's, he's just a sophomore now, really a, a kind of sense of redshirt freshman almost. Uh, he'll still play four years. Um, and, uh, I'll ask how the guys are doing, who's playing well, who's struggling, how's the team looking, those kinds of things. And, uh, I think I spoke to the coaches twice during the season and both times they would call me for one reason or another. And I would tell my son, I spoke to your coaches and he would always, he'd always say like, Oh no, coach, dad, what did I do wrong? And I was like, nothing, you didn't do anything wrong. I'm, I'm friends with these guys. We were catching up, but, um, my son knows not to tell me any locker room stuff. His, mm-hmm. his allegiance is to his program. And so I don't know any secrets. Uh, certainly if I did, I would never say them publicly. But no, I don't want, I don't want my son to tell me anything outside of um, more basic stuff. Obviously, if someone's shooting well or not well, you know, we're talking. I, he would do this no matter where he was. Um, 
and I never called to check up on him. I, I just always assume if the coaches call me, it's because he's bleeding somewhere or hurt um, or he really screwed up. And so luckily none of those things happen, uh, but their job is not to, it's not, I, as I told my son, it's not fair for me to check up on him because I could, whereas other parents necessarily can't because they don't have that kind of relationship. Not that they couldn't call their coaches. Of course they could, but they just aren't friendly the way I am with those guys. So no, I, I respect that relationship. And I think my son probably appreciates that. I understand how that dynamic is. I've done this a long time. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about the team. We'll talk about college. We'll talk about the NBA. He loves the NBA. And, um, and I'll ask him a lot of questions about their upcoming opponents, especially from an NBA perspective. He hopes to work in the NBA one day. And um, uh, so I want to get his take on what do you think of the kids at Duke or North Carolina or whoever they're playing. And um, I've always felt like, you know, he has a twin sister, so I have a daughter. Um, and she and I have a very different kind of relationship because she doesn't play basketball. She was a dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but basketball is a, is a language of love. My, both my son and I speak very intimately. So if, if we ever had a quiet meal, all I have to do is say, Hey, where do you think Ben Simmons going to go? And that'll start up an hour long conversation. Mm-hmm. And I love that. It's, I didn't do this on purpose. I didn't tell him to choose basketball. He, mm-hmm. he made that choice, but I'm glad he did because it's never a dull moment. He and I, uh, we could talk movies, we could talk basketball and, and never have a, have a quiet time. So no, I feel very fortunate that he loves the game that I love. And, um, I think he's got a really good head in his shoulders as to what matters most about this game. Uh, relationships are what's I think most important. And he would argue as much as I would that his life is far richer because he plays basketball. So he and I have that in common. That's awesome. Um, now I feel uh, weird about transitioning out of this. That was, that was really heartfelt. And I'm just like, a, <laughs> let, me, let me do a callous NBA question. But um, with all the games that you watched, from your perspective, Coach, um, what playoff series, like before any of the games happened, surprised you the most with the outcome? Oh, uh, oh, that's a good one. Um, I, I think I got most of them right. Um mm-hmm. The fact that Portland was so bad against Denver was surprising for sure. Mm. I, did, I did not see that coming. Um, and I think that I wasn't surprised that the Jazz lost because you just have to realize how important. It, it's not hard to realize how important Donovan Mitchell was to that team, but Mike Conley was every bit as valuable, if not even more valuable. Less dynamic as a player, probably more valuable overall. And, and Mike being out for as long as he was, and then Donovan uh, recovering, you know, from his injury um, in the playoffs, um, just kind of knocked them for a loop. And the Jazz, the Jazz were the best team in the league, and quite frankly, should have won the championship. Uh, absent, if everyone is healthy, because it's unfair to say, well, if the Jazz were healthy, they would have won because Lakers had injuries, the Nets had injuries. I thought it'd be a Nets-Jazz final, and I thought the Jazz had a great shot to beat Brooklyn because of uh, because of Rudy. And, uh, and just being able to defend those guys. Um, and so uh, the fact that they lost the Clippers without Kawhi in those two games, uh, that surprised me too. But no, I would say Portland just melting against the Nuggets. So other than that, I thought things went pretty – like I thought the Hawks would win that first round. Hmm. So I guess maybe Hawks-Philadelphia was pretty surprised. Yeah, I, I had the Hawks winning against the Knicks. I, I, I thought they could beat the Sixers depending on how Joel Embiid his health. And I don't think he was healthy. I don't think he was moving great defensively. He was great offensively. 
I thought he was not himself defensively, and they needed that from him. And then, of course, Ben Simmons was terrible. So I didn't think, I, again, I thought the Hawks would win if, if Embiid wasn't really healthy. So, yeah, I guess Portland melting to Denver the way they did was, was pretty shocking. Do you, like, this was in, in the order of operations here, but you, you brought up a team I'm quite familiar with, the Atlanta Hawks. Um, do you think this is here to stay? And also, do you think if Trey doesn't fall or step on uh, the official's foot, rather, they win that series against Milwaukee and Milwaukee's not raising an NBA title right now? Do you think it, it that flipped the series? No. Or do you think they would? Okay. Yeah, I thought, no, I, I thought Milwaukee was beginning to grab a hold of, uh, the best ways to beat Atlanta. I, it was it was a good series, and certainly Atlanta could have won one more game. And they, I mean, they could have won the whole thing. And, oh, they couldn't have won the whole series anyway. But no, I thought the better team won, whether Trey got hurt or not, just made it easier. Mm-hmm. But no, I think Atlanta is legit. Um, there's if DeAndre Hunter is, Hunter is healthy for them, that's a that's a big deal. That's uh, why I thought they had a great chance to beat the Knicks, is because I thought he would guard uh, Julius Randle better than mm-hmm. what John Collins did during the year. And as it turns out, Collins was better in the postseason too, defensively. Yeah. So did that surprise yeah, I thought you? Nate did a great job. Hmm? What's that? Did that surprise you, John Collins' postseason play? Because he was pretty up and down. No, Somebody no. watched a lot. I was, I, I, he is the hardest hawk to to figure out, and the the restricted free agency with him is going to be so fascinating. Um, and he picked a perfect time to become a restricted free agent. Uh, I, I, it wasn't by design, but he really looked out because he might be the most appetizing guy out there um, yeah. this summer. It's it's yeah, pretty wild. Is. I think they need him. I hope they pay him. I think mm. they need him. Uh, he's not easy to replace. And um, he's still a young guy. Like, you yeah. know, you're, you're, this, is, this is not just a, a, a linear ascension in this league. You, you, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. And you just you go up and down and up and down, and you hope your ups get higher over the years, and your downs get not quite as low as they were when you were younger. So, so I think they're on schedule to be a, a, a serious contender for a while. True or false? Cam Reddish is putting up almost identical numbers to Paul George in three years during that same window for Paul George in Indiana. Oh, I yeah, I mean, probably false. Paul George mm. was really, really good. Yeah. Uh, if Cam Reddish could do it, great. Uh, it's certainly possible. Um, Are you a Cam Reddish guy? You know, not, I didn't really watch him enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard for me. These freshmen that barely play, um, they're just so young. You know, it's just it's it's tough to really gauge them because they're not they just don't have a lot of minutes and mm-hmm. experiences. Um, clearly, he has a lot of talent. Um, I was impressed with him in the postseason. Uh, I certainly think he's got a great upside. I like the trade um, to get uh, to get him with Trey, and um, yeah, I mean they've got they've got a, a nice assortment of good young players with good veterans. You know, Gallo was disappointing to me for much of the postseason. Um, he had his moments, but uh, you know, he's got hopefully Cam Cam could take his spot in a sense, or DeAndre can as he kind of ages out. I think of his his, his best effectiveness. But, uh, but, you know, Trey, I love Capella. Trey, I'm a big Herder fan. I think he's got a lot of Ray Allen in him. Mm. And, um, yeah, he's a, he's a good player. Uh, yeah, they've got, I mean, they've got to add some depth, as, as a lot of teams do. But, you know, the, Nate really gets guys to defend. I think, I think Trey and Nate are a perfect combination because as good as I think Nate is defensively and culture building, I don't think he's very imaginative on offense. Mm. And with Trey, you just got to let him loose, and he'll do the rest. And so it's a nice combination, I think. That, that's going to be 
an enjoyable experience for you guys. It is funny that you, you say that because that was like something when you read the quotes and you look at the relationship and the reporting on it, I'm like, so the reason this works is because Trey doesn't, he found a coach that doesn't want to coach him on offense. Like that, that's what the, the coaching is. <laughs> He's just like, I trust Trey and uh, that flipped the switch. I'm like, I don't think that's an indictment on Lloyd for trying to coach Trey. Like, I think uh, that that's one of those things where I wonder if we have to reevaluate in a couple of years. And I mean, I, he's now an assistant in Golden State, and I hope he gets another shot because he was dealt with just a horrid hand for two years. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I saw that. Like, the reporting on it is just fascinating to me because um, it, it just, I, I think Nate's good. Um, he had some questionable adjustments um, in this postseason. He made some interesting and interesting choices i would say by and large and sticking to his guns and being a little apprehensive to play certain guys mega minutes he kind of had some some bud learning curve there where it's just like no you, you just got to keep trey in there what, what are we doing why is trey sitting at the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth like the, the every minute matters with him off the floor and um i don't know uh, there's some things like and things uh, not like um the best coaching job you saw these playoffs who who do you think pulled off the best coaching job in the postseason uh i mean obviously bud did great he won the championship and i thought he made some key decisions that worked out well but i would probably lean to ty Lu. i mean okay. to do what he did without i mean he played i think it was 56 of 58 different rotations uh mm. within the first like you know 10 games of the playoffs he tried everything possible he, he looked all sorts of defensive looks Big, small, big, and uh, the, the Jazz series. Um, just he just wasn't married to anything. No pride. Uh, he just whatever worked great. If it didn't work, let's try something else. And uh, he was great. Yeah, I thought he was um, really impressive considering <laughs> they were missing their best player. So uh, and and you saw you know uh, Terrence Mann had a coming out party. Dubak was really really good. In a lot of stretches, Reggie um, Jackson was unbelievable. The players, of course, get the lion's share of the credit, but coach and system and culture, all those are factored in. So, yeah, I thought Ty was fantastic. Like, I think Ty should be our next team USA coach mm. because I think we need to have pragma- a pragmatic guy uh, uh, in these games. And I think he's, I don't know if he has any interest, probably not, but uh, yeah, I think he, he's really, really good. Have you watched all the USA games? Well, I played one. I've not watched, I don't really watch exhibitions very okay, much for the exhibition. Yeah, yeah. So I did watch the first game live mm-hmm. and the, the next one, I think tonight at 1240 a.m. And, uh, well, so it's Wednesday morning. I may watch it. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> um, I'll tape it if I don't. Mm-hmm. What did you, what did you glean from the France loss, if anything? Well, when Durant sucks and Lillard sucks, Team USA is not a really good team. <laughs> and, uh, I thought we defended really, really well for mm-hmm. much of the game. I thought we made a, a tactical mistake of switching everything, which gave France uh, an identity offensively. They just wanted to pound the paint the entire time against kind of our lack of size. We really only have Bam inside. He's not a great rim protector as it is. So I thought they, if, if France is big, the biggest team in the tournament, we're small. I thought that was a mistake. I thought we should have mixed up our coverages more so they couldn't necessarily – just pounded inside against us. But the bottom line is when Evan Fournier outplays Durant and Lillard, you know, there's and Rudy Gobert's in the game, uh, you have a chance to lose. I, when Rudy Gobert was a rookie in summer league, I wrote that he's going to be on the team. He's the kind of player that'll be on the team that first beats a team USA team. 
And then uh, in 2015, I tweeted kind of the same thing that basically uh, he's going to be on a team that beats Team USA, whatever my tweet was, something like that. And now he's beaten him twice because when he's in the game, you just really can't score inside very much. And so it becomes a shooting contest. And it's just so much more pressure to make shots in these games when you're playing for a country and not for money. It's the same thing in the, in the Ryder Cup in golf. Uh, I've read books about the Ryder Cup and these world's greatest players admit they just feel so much more pressure when they're putting for us instead of just putting for me and money for whatever reason. It's just how it is. And I think the Olympics are the same. So when we can't get a bunch of paint shots against uh, a team that's got Rudy on it and we don't shoot well from three, we're just, we're capable of losing those games. So I still think Team USA can win the whole thing. Doesn't mean they will. Um, but uh, they got to play better. Middleton didn't barely play. He had just got there. Holiday was amazing. I don't think Booker really is a great fit for this team, but um, I don't love that we're constructed. I think we're too small, and we only have one real center that can play. Jenny Grant didn't play because of, I think, COVID protocols. He, you know, we really do guard, and we force turnovers, and we make things tough. I think it's a very defensive-minded team that does have a chance to dominate more going forward. I, I don't think Iran probably can be competitive, but they only lost by four, I think, to Czech Republic. So if we can blow Iran out, it's a good chance we can blow Czech Republic out, get out of pool play. And, uh, and then, you know, we're going to be favored in every game we play. We just got to play better. We, and we just didn't play very well. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big Olympics guy. I, I have not watched it. I, I probably won't. And also I kind of need a break and there's just a lot of sports. I still have to watch in the Braves are on every night uh, seemingly um ben simmons you mentioned that um he quote sucked this postseason coach and it was rough he's not uh, picking up the phone or he's hard to reach uh per the latest report on him and the sixers um for you when you watch this meltdown you watched just how terrified he became in these series that like do you, do you think he is capable at this point in his career to be rewired, to gain that confidence again, to develop something else in his game, to become a different kind of player? Or from your experience, do you think at this point, it's just, it's not realistic to expect him to rework his game or change stuff up? And also just let, like friend of the pod, Scott Rafferty made this point, and I, I think it's an astute one, is that, like, even if he s- does start shooting, teams are still going to play off him. Like, they're still going to leave him open. Like, even if he's shooting 32, 30, like, it doesn't open up your offense anymore for Ben to actually take these, because they're still going to leave him open unless he's shooting, like, 40%, which is unlikely. And then you have the whole question of whether or not he's shooting with the wrong hand, all that kind of stuff. But it's just so frustrating with somebody like him, because if he was a even average to good shooter, he's a top three player in basketball. Like, maybe top two. And if he's not, then like if you use him the correct way, he's like Draymond, a, a, a souped up version of Draymond. So it's like that's still a really great Hall of Fame worthy player. And he's still on that trajectory if he plays close to what he's like for the next 10 years. And then you're just like, what? I don't. It, it's just so confusing. And there's so many different variables involved here. But like for you, what do you what do you think as a coach is the most realistic expectation for growth from Ben Simmons from here on out? I mean, in theory, he can definitely get so much better. There's no question in my mind. He can be a dramatically different player. And even if you don't learn to shoot a three but can make free throws better, that'll give him so much more courage to, to make plays at the rim without fear of 
missing free throws. You know, Giannis doesn't play with fear, uh, and he can't shoot free throws. In fact, Ben was probably even a better free throw shooter during the regular season. Um, he just he's just really got some mental issues and needs some guidance and needs some uh, he he needs the intervention, so to speak. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence that NBA teams know what they're doing with this kind of stuff. Um, I'm friendly with the team president with, in, in Philadelphia. He's a great guy and a super smart guy. But uh, I don't think Daryl dealt with this a lot. Um, but Ben needs some help. Ben needs some professional therapy, in a sense, to uh, to turn himself around. LeBron needed it after his terrible uh, finals against Dallas in 2011, I think it was, um, whenever his first finals was in Miami. Uh, and then he went to you know three straight finals and won the next two. Um, I think that, uh, it's probably, he's probably not going to reach his full potential. Uh, like my, at least half the league going to reach your full potential. He just happens to have a higher upside than most. So it's disappointing mm-hmm. that way, but it's possible. Like I, I mean, he's 25. He's got lots of time to grow as a player. Um, and he, again, he doesn't have to shoot threes. Um, we, you know, if you, if you have a great shooter on your team and they're not guarding you with a just screen and pop and. Uh, or screen and roll, and if your if your big isn't guarding you, uh, with it, I mean, the shooter can come off that screen wide open. This is what Draymond does with Steph Curry all the time. So there's ways to play around it. There's ways to play Ben Simmons more like Giannis. I wrote an article about on Twitter that they should do that, uh, but it starts with him not being afraid to get fouled. So that's what I focused on most was not his three, but his free throw, and then his mindset of of wanting to get to the line and wanting to lead the league in foul in free throws attempted and. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process to, to change someone's mentality. I was going to say, do you think he's I, I wired just, like that? I, I, you know, I, I, you, know you rewire them. I, I've been mm. coaching a long time and, um, you know, we all, we all are born with instincts and, uh, but instincts are learned. They're not just, you're not just born with them. So we're all, our instinct is to always touch fire when we're one, but by the age of two, we don't touch fire anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, our instinct is just across the road without looking, but we're then taught the instinct of always check to see left and you know left and right where cars are coming. Uh, basketball, the instinct is players love to drive in the traffic, they love to drive the baseline. There's a lot of instincts in basketball that we coach out of players, and so it's just we're rewiring them. So there's no reason why you can't rewire Ben Simmons. Hmm. Where do you think is the best basketball fit for him if it's not Philadelphia? Where is he most likely <sighs> to get rewired? And the best coaching staff. I mean, I, I, I mean, Golden State would be good. Probably the Spurs would be good. I think they've done a good job over the years in, in helping players like them. Um, it really depends on the, the coach, not the uh, not the franchise. I, I have a longtime assistant that, that now is an assistant coach. He's actually the head G League coach for the Pelicans. His name is Ryan Pannone. And uh, Ryan may be with another NBA team soon on the bench, or he might be with the Pelicans. Uh, on the bench for the NBA or, or still coaching the Bayhawks. But Ryan Pannone would turn Ben Simmons around. And there's other guys like Ryan that could do it. Uh, you just got to find him. It's not the franchise. It's, a, it's, it's an individual person to reach him. Uh, the, the, the best thing about the show, Ted Lasso, is they kind of give a name to that phenomenon, which is to, to use love and culture to, to, to get players to reach a higher level. And so, in a sense, guys like Ryan Pinocchio could Ted Lasso, Ben Simmons, and bring out the best version of him. And you got to go find like find guys like that and put them with people like Ben Simmons. Hmm. I I think 
Portland still is the my favorite idea. Like I would love to see Damon Embiid in a postseason series and what that would look like, and I would love to see. We all do. Yeah, we all want that. I don't. I don't know if it'll happen, but yeah, that's that's uh, that's absolutely the most. That's what's that's uh, probably the most likely trade scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you know each team wants an all star, and and so Dame you know, scratches the edge for Philadelphia, and Ben does the same thing for a terrible defensive team in Portland. Right. Yeah. Um, something that I think is interesting that we just kind of overlook with the Pelicans. I wanted to get your perspective on this too, because I think um, the Pelicans are getting a lot of grief right now um, with the rebuilds thus far. Um, we know what David Griffin's capable of. David Griffin is a good general manager. It's hard building a good basketball team. It turns out coach and Zion and Brandon Ingram are an odd fit. They're just kind of weird. He inherited that, but Zion, when he plays, and with his style, like he's dominant, there's just nothing you can do inside. Ingram fell off a little bit this year, but we saw the all-star Brandon Ingram, top 15 player potentially, um, consistently uh, two years ago. But you have guys like Bloodstone, you saw that, I mean, Stan talked about it, like just not reaching them defensively, like just to, to not reach this group of players. So they're bad and he's gone. But I just wonder, like, <laughs> is there a way that they can like i don't think jonas valanciunas solves this i don't think Nikhil alexander solves any of this like i i wonder like even if you sign and trade lonzo like whatever happens there i just think it's always going to be difficult to figure out the right recipe with these two um is that how you feel when you watch these two on the court together or do you think it's more one player than the other that's more difficult to figure out the right five guys to surround them or four guys rather to surround them with like what what do you make of that that duo and what you've seen from both of them thus far that makes it maybe potentially really difficult to field a, a good team in the West. Oh, I love them as a duo. Okay. I think there's a lot, a lot, they're a lot like uh, Giannis and Middleton is younger. Um, I would play the way the Bucks played in the finals. I would have lots of Zion screen and roll. Zion is a primary ball handler using ball screens and playing uh, just basketball. He's such a talented all around player. A lot of uh, uh, early seals for Zion, uh, rolling to the, you know 13 feet if he can jump so high. Ingram can be a great fourth quarter scorer like Middleton. He's such a good mid range player. You get a shot up against anyone. Uh, you got to get you got to get a, a big that plays with Zion that can shoot threes. So that's some, that's why I thought Stephen Adams was a disastrous pick. Although their offense wasn't terrible, their defense that was so bad they were tenth in offense. Mm-hmm. So because they feature Zion in the perimeter as an attacker. Uh, so, but I like, you know, how Milwaukee plays with Portis. In fact, I'd go after Portis if I was them. Um, I think that, uh, I think those guys can be fantastic together. I, I happen to like Lonzo. I think they're going after Kyle Lowry and that'll be fine. I don't love Lowry for them because, uh, defensively, well, he, he was bad last year defensively for him and that might be age or it might be his team sucked. It could be, it could be the latter. So, uh, he just didn't really care. Um, cause normally he's a better fighter than he was this past season. Uh, but yeah, you, you got to get better players. They've had a bunch of bad players and average players. And I thought, I love Coach Gunny, but he did not do a good job um, on the defensive side of the ball. They had some structural things in terms of their systems that weren't great and what they were trying to take away. And, and he's just a negative guy. And the team needs, I think, a more positive vibe. I think they have the right guy in, in um, Coach Green. I think he'll build a good culture. I think guys will like to play for him. And and um, they just got to grow. They got to, you know, Belichick is a good player. He's better offensively than defensively. And again, defense is their problem. But maybe 
Coach Green will, you know, kind of coach them up differently and come up with a better strategy for them defensively overall, and that'll help. Last thing I want to ask you about, because SGA is popping up in lottery questions, like whether or not the Thunder will package him in their, one of their picks for number one or something like that. I just, I watch a lot of Shea Gilgis Alexander. I've been a big SGA guy. I love watching him play. He's he's different. Like he's a different player to watch, and he's someone that I is an appointment viewing for me on League Pass because I just think he's really really fascinating. And him developing a shot, just he he was incredibly intriguing, and he's playing a different style. And I always was curious when he was coming out if his game was going to be good enough for today's NBA versus what it was 15 years ago. When you watch SGA, do you think he? Because we haven't seen it now. Like we've never really seen him play. Like him playing next to Chris Paul was really great. Him, Paul and Schroeder were just really fun and it was weird. But like, what do you think he can actually be? Can he be a top 15 player in in this league? Is there one particular skill you think he'll be elite, elite at? Um, what, what do you make of him? And do you think we'll get to see him on a contender sooner than later? And will he be someone that like, Oh, casual fans are just like, Oh, this guy is absolutely a different difference maker on a contender to get them over the top. Like a Drew Holiday, honestly. I, I love him. I think he's got a higher upside than Drew. And I, I coach Drew uh, for the draft. Uh, I know how talented he is. I, I love Shay. Um, he can be a big-time scorer. He can be an excellent defender. He's long and athletic and kind of does things the right way, plays the right way, uh, seems super coachable. Um, yeah, no, I think, he's, uh, I think he's a really, really talented guy. And... Um, I have no idea. I, I couldn't even begin to guess what what they'll do. It's certainly, you know, you can argue that they. I would argue that they'd be best off using their picks to bring talent in to play with Shea, who's uh, you know, he's twenty three years old. He's he's young. Um, I, I but I don't know that they will. They might. You know, they might just uh, play one more year and uh, and then maybe trade him because they're going to get a lot of stuff for him. Um, but I think he's ready to, to help a team win. Like he's going to his fourth season. He was a top 5% NBA, it would be 95% on offense last year overall and estimated plus minus. Yeah, pretty average defensively, but, you know, playing with really young, not very good players, it's not easy to play defense. But Rudy Gobert would not have been the defensive player of the year playing for the Thunder. Um, uh, they, they've got good, some good young talent there, but I'm not sure that any of them are really a long-term uh, guys that definitely make it, except for maybe Lou Dort, who I like. Um, not Poku. So yeah, maybe they Coach do. David Thorpe, What's that? Poku guy. <laughs> no, I, I mean I watched him play in the G League. I mean he's. I understand the attraction to it, but I, I'm. I, ultimately, the only reason I'm attracted to him, Coach, I'm going to be completely honest. As a tall, lanky, super skinny guy who runs every day, you love to see somebody in the NBA like you. You don't see very. You don't see it very often. Yeah, he's. He's got to learn to play the way Kyle Anderson has learned to play. He's become an mm. elite defensive player that's a solid offensive player. If he could do that, I'm not sure he can, but if he can, fine. Uh, he's young. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting he, it can't happen. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Shea, Shea's ready to be uh, Devin Booker. Mm. And um, that, not on that team, he's not going to be. So it's going to be time to let him go play with a, you know, this is what I think players are going to do more and more is, uh, they're going to get their extension because they earn it. And they're going to say, now move me to somewhere yeah. where I can go actually play meaningful games and not play for this garbage year in, year out for three or four years while you just collect, you know, assets, picks and whatever and keep your job. So, um, so I think Sam will, I know Sam pressed me a long time. I think he's, 
I think he's aware of that. He, he, he really builds an amazing culture. It's first class for sure. And he, and he's going to probably this year say, oh, you know, they're going to, they're going to get an extension for him, I would guess. And, and then, and then at some point, if they still can't make any kind of deal to get better, then it's time to let him go and just get even more picks for him, for him and, and then build with whatever the, whatever players they have. Okay. Last thing, last thing, really quickly. This is going to clairvoyant David Thorpe. This is, this is the moment right here. We'll revisit when you're back next year. Um, the next young player to really get it is going to be who? And by get it, I mean, uh, you've seen flashes. There's been moments, but like they're going to, they figured it out and they're going to be a really good player for a long time. Well, I, I don't know if you count him or not, but I think Zion is going to be a monster. Next. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to be, he's going to make the lead next year the way Luca made the lead this year, I think. Okay. Yeah. I don't know how courageous that is, but yeah, I think that a new coach, no, hopefully not a COVID season where they actually can watch film and, and not be in such a good schedule. It looks like I saw the schedule outlined today. It looks good. I think he's going to get MVP votes this coming season. Okay. Okay. I'm excited. He's he's a delight to watch. Zion is yeah, an absolute great. delight to watch. Uh, Coach Thorpe, what can we check out from you at True Hoop this week? And anything else you would like to plug as we wrap up here tonight? Yeah, no. I just uh, I published something tomorrow on the draft, my favorite players in the draft. And then uh, we'll do a podcast Friday, but I'm bringing it in 11 o'clock live, and then we'll post it up later. Recapping the draft Thursday night. It'll be fun. I love that y'all are doing that again. As someone who grew up in college and high school watching the True Hoop videos, the hearing the sound, the fuzzy sound, you don't get that on this, but like the, you know, the, like the TV static yeah. and then going, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's weird <laughs> that that is like just hardwired into my brain now. Um, yeah. That, that it's wild, I know but I'm, I'm glad it's back. I'm glad it's back. So go check Thank that you. out if you've not already. TrueHoop.com. Uh, find all of David's work and also get his, uh, get his book. I have it. It's good. Basketball is jazz. Go check that out as well. Yes, please. At Amazon. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. David Thorpe, thank you so much for making the time. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.